Amen. Well, good morning. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are new with us this morning. My name is Alex. Uh, whether you're in person or online, we're really glad that you're joining us for the very first time. Uh, what we're all about here is connecting, connecting people to God, to each other, so together we can engage our world for good and meet the Lord as we do so. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. We are starting a brand new series of messages called Step Into the Story. But before we get that, last week we wrapped up our Living Supernaturally series, talked about living kind of in the supernatural space. And uh, we had a great time of prayer over the last six weeks and all kinds of uh, conversations. And so as a sort of a PS to that series, we're going to have an open Q&A next Sunday after both services where you can kind of come with any of your questions about living supernaturally. Those could be stories or experiences, things we talked about, things we didn't talk about, whatever would be sort of interesting to you. We're going to open season on Living Supernaturally next week after both services. So uh, hang out for a few minutes, and uh, we'll look forward to that conversation next Sunday. Today, we are talking about stepping into the story. What is your story? We all have one, right? You got a story. I got a story. We all got stories. And all of our stories are marked with a few things. There are some beautiful moments, and there are some really hard moments, aren't there, in every story? And here's the catch. No promise of happily ever after. No promise of happily ever after, right? Over the last couple of months, I've been really sort of touched by how many people are carrying a bunch of pain from their stories. What we're going to do over these next several weeks is we're going to Watch the Jesus story, and we're going to kind of go through a succession of kind of trace his ministry in his life. It's going to be kind of like the, uh, the sports center of Jesus' life, okay? Like a bunch of highlights of Jesus' life. And most of them, he's going to be interacting with other people where he's going to be inviting them to step into the story he's writing and fulfilling that God's been writing since the, almost the beginning of time. And here's the invitation throughout this whole series. You are invited to bring your story, warts and all. Like all the great moments, all the sweet moments, all the hard stuff, the things that you are ashamed of, the things that you don't want to remember, like the stuff that you've kind of blocked out and tried to think about, the hard days, the sad days, the heartbreaking days, and then all the hopes and dreams you have for the future. You are invited to bring your story and merge it in with Jesus' story. Because for 2,000 years, here's what's happened. For 2,000 years, people, almost every culture, all throughout time, have discovered that when you join your story in with Jesus' redemption story, there is a promise of redemption and a promise of eternally, happily ever after that is not available any other way. Redemption, happily ever after, is available. The redemption story is available in Jesus. And as we bring our stories to Jesus, as we kind of engage with him and, and, and invite him to sort of have the last word over our stories, he unleashes this beautiful redemptive power that works in multiple ways, both forward and backward, right? Forward in that as we learn the Jesus story and learn to live out the way of Jesus, as we learn the path of wisdom, you start to put things in place that are actually reflecting how Jesus taught, how he called us to build our lives on his solid rock, right? Can you imagine one pastor says, how would your life, what would, you, what would it be like if the rest of your life from this day forward was, as he says, better decisions and fewer regrets? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Better decisions, fewer regrets, because you're learning to walk in the wisdom path of Jesus. That's the future orientation of joining your story and learning your story to be merged with his. And then there's even, even this beautiful, crazy thing that only the Lord can do. Because Jesus stands outside of time, and your whole life is stretched before him like a film strip. He can reach back into the darkest, hardest days of your life and pull out redemptive threads of beauty, hope, renewal, 
beauty from ashes, restoration power, that wouldn't it be great if you could say, those were some of the hardest, darkest days of my life, and yet the Lord in his mercy has brought good out of even that. That's the invitation as we are stepping into the series called Step Into the Story, the story that's been flowing since almost the beginning of time that Jesus has come to fulfill, and he invites you and I to step into with him. Today, we're going to start where Jesus' public ministry starts, okay? So Jesus is born, Merry Christmas, and then it's pretty quiet about his life for about 30 years, and uh, he's in the carpenter shop working with his dad, and then he kind of bursts onto the scene with the story we're going to look at today, and at this scene, this is the kickoff to three of the most consequential years in human history. This is three years of Jesus' life where he does public ministry that's going to change the world forever, actually has changed the world forever and ever. And so as we get to this point in Jesus' story, this very beginning, this very kickoff event, what we're going to see is what's true throughout his story, that Jesus is constantly tempted, just like you and I are, to settle for a lesser story. Jesus is going to be tempted or offered opportunities to chase after a smaller story, a lesser story. How about the applause and approval story? How about big crowd story? How about influence story? How about uh, power? How about uh, comfort and convenience? How about sort of just going your own way? There's all these other lesser stories that you and I are tempted to live out of and that Jesus is also gonna be tempted with. And it starts right here at the beginning of his public ministry. His cousin, John the Baptist, has already burst on the scene and he's been teaching and preaching for a while now. And John's got some big crowds that are following him. He's kind of weird, but people are intrigued. And then Jesus goes, to him here at the very start of his public ministry, and here's how this interaction goes between Jesus and his cousin John the Baptist, who's a kind of a crazy religious guy in Matthew chapter 3. Here's how the story opens for Jesus' public ministry. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, blank, let's play one of our favorite games around here, Bible Mad Libs, where we point in the spot, what could Jesus have said here in this moment? What could Jesus have said here in this moment that might have been actually the wrong path and the wrong way to go? Because here's the thing. John already has huge crowds. John has a giant Instagram following, okay? He's already got tons of people following him. And he realizes, he knows that his role is to be the prelude, the precursor to Jesus. So he has some sense that Jesus is greater than he is. And so here's what Jesus could have said in this moment, right? He could have said, you know what? You're right, my time to shine. Come on over here, I baptize you, and that catapults me to celebrity and fame, right? All of John's Instagram followers are suddenly his. Like if, if, and, and here's the thing, it's true, right? Jesus is greater than John. Like That's the whole point, this is the thing. This is the, a, a small temptation right here for Jesus. If Jesus was just living his own story, if Jesus believed the lies that much of our culture says to us about how you need to live, what you need to chase after, whatever that is, right? You need to go after whatever you need to go after, right? If you want fame, if you want influence, if you want whatever, you want to build a brand, you want to build your name. If, you're, if, if, if Jesus believed the lies that so much of our culture is built around, this is exactly what he would have said. My time to shine. Let me baptize you. All your followers will be mine. That must be true, right? It rhymes. And here's the thing, right? Jesus is going to be famous. He's going to get followers. He's the, literally the most followed human being in human history. 
But this is not the way to do it. There's a different story, a bigger story that Jesus is submitting to and entering into that is not merely about his own name and his own agenda. There's a bigger thing that the Lord has sent Jesus to go and do, that God the good Father has sent Jesus to do, and that's the story Jesus wants to walk into. Here's what Jesus actually says. Let it be so now, for... It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. See, Jesus didn't come just to make a name for himself, create his own destiny, build his own brand, build his own following. He has come to fulfill God's story of all righteousness. God's been writing a story. And Jesus is stepping into God the Father's story that he's been writing from the, about, about the third chapter of Genesis on, he's been writing the story of redemption, newel, righteousness, making things right again. Let's talk about this righteousness story. The righteousness story is this. The righteousness story is God stepping into a not right world. And in the midst of the rubble and the pain and the brokenness, he starts to build right things right in the middle of it. Building right things, like things that are broken. He says, I can work with that. I can work with that. I can work with that. Let me make some right things, some right things that are working exactly the way I, God designed it. So many things are not right about this world, amen? So many things you would say, in a perfect world, I would do that. In a perfect world, this would happen. Or in a perfect world, this would not have happened. Or maybe a perfect me would not have said or done the thing that I regret. Right? I'm ashamed of. So many things about this world that are just not right. God steps into a world, a not right world, and says, you know what? I'm going to make right things in the midst of the rubble and the chaos of all this. I'm going to make some things right, right in the middle of this. A righteous story. Not self-righteous. Super important, right? Not self-righteous. God-righteous. Not about how great you are about how great God is, how wise God is, how true God is, orienting and organizing our lives around who God is and what God's all about. We're talking about a righteous story being written in right people, not perfect people, none of us are perfect, but a righteousness that comes from the Lord that we then cultivate and live and live out, where we are growing in faith, hope, love, loving our neighbors, ourselves, loving God, living lives of worship and prayer, faithfully, fruitfully, doing the best we can. We're talking about righteous families, not self-righteous families, those are horrible, righteous families. No perfect family, but families where people actually love and serve one another, prefer one another as best you can, call out the best of one another, encourage one another toward the Lord, pray for one another, forgive each other when we sin against each other. How about righteous churches? No perfect church. We're not a perfect church. We're not even close to a perfect church. But how about a church that is doing all we can to be full of the Spirit, faithfully following Jesus, learn how to love each other, learn how to serve each other, prefer one another, Bearing good fruit in our lives that we might nourish and feed one another. How about a church that actually loves our neighbor as ourselves? How about a church that is uh, all about worship of the Lord, building our lives around the Lord, and then going out and loving our neighbor as ourselves and faithfully following the Lord as best we can? Righteous people, righteous families, righteous churches. And then the Lord says, go and live out this story this right-making story in a broken and weary world. Listen, there's all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of things that are not right. Go build right things right in the middle of that not-rightness. Go and be a part of my righteous and right-making story as best you possibly can wherever I send you. 
A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we live in sort of spiritually contested space. And we talked about, like, we talked about demons, actually. It was a fun conversation. We talked about demons and the, and the fact that there's spiritual opposition in the world. And we talked about, I told stories of praying forward over people who were battling uh, things, challenges in their lives that had a spiritual layer to it, a spiritual opposition. On the other side of telling that story, someone reached out to us and said, hey, I think my house needs some prayer. Would, would y'all come over and pray for my house? In that house there have been a ton of heartbreak, difficulty, lots of tears, lots of grieving, lots of long nights and difficult conversations. And, and the, 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 the house itself has some ties to some extended family. I want you to think of the most dysfunctional family you've ever heard of and then put that like exponentially times 10, okay? Like the stories like she tells about her extended family, it is like crazy making wacko. It is so dysfunctional, so dark, so like so kind of just weird, just so, so knotted up and tangled up in so much deception and lies and brokenness. And she was like, I'm trying to sell this house. I'm trying to get out from underneath it. And I feel like there's a spiritual layer of opposition to it. Would you come pray? So a bunch of folks went over and prayed. I was supposed to, but my wife got COVID, so I didn't go. But a bunch of folks went over and prayed. And the house has been on the market. And as soon as the, the, the prayer team, like three or four people arrived, there was a couple that was there. They were looking at the house. And one of the guys on the prayer team declared boldly, that couple's going to buy this house. Okay, yes or amen, sure. So they prayed for that. And then they walked through the house and prayed over each room. And man, she, there was tears and she was crying. And it, there was like, but there was this really sense of like relief and release after they went and walked through the house and prayed and prayed over her. The next day, that couple put an offer on the house and she was set free from it. There were things that were knotted up about her story in this house. There was a, a not right story being written in that house. And so a prayer team showed up, and it wasn't about them, right? It wasn't about their story. They were stepping into this story, this person's story, this house, and all the things that were all knotted up in it. And as they stepped in, and as they wrote, as they literally participated in the Holy Spirit's writing the righteousness story over this house, things got unknotted, disentangled. There was flow again. There was release. There was a lightness to it. Praise God. It wasn't about them. It was about stepping into someone else's story, participating in God's righteousness, right-making story right there in the midst. My friends, some of you are in families that are all knotted up, all tangled up, so much distance and dissonance and discord, and maybe just maybe, 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 maybe God is calling you, step in, inviting you to step into his righteousness story in your families, to start to write his right-making story as best you possibly can, and maybe it's just one person in your family who's still sane that you can deal with, you can talk to, right? Maybe it starts with one person. Maybe it starts with a, a family unit, but you're stepping in to be a part of God's righteousness story being worked out in your family. Not self-righteousness, God's righteousness. Some of you are students, you're teenagers, you're in schools, and there's kids getting bullied. There's people already, kids who are already lying, cheating, stealing. Some of them are already well on the path to addiction. And maybe, just maybe, you've got influence over somebody there in your school. And God's saying, listen, I put you in that place for you to be a part of my righteousness story, to fulfill my righteousness story right there in the little circle wherever you are. Can you be an influence for God's right-making story in your community, in your school? All kinds of different, different workplaces, right? Some of you are in really healthy workplaces. Some of you are in deeply dysfunctional and broken workplaces. And maybe you need to get out of those workplaces. I don't know. But man, wherever God has you, is there someone around you whom God would say, I want you to write my righteousness story in this workplace, in that person's life, on the aftermath of their divorce or things falling apart or they're just kind of wallowing in darkness or they're sort of distracted. Is there anyone that God would have you to fulfill his righteousness story 
as you step into it in the communities where God has you, whether it's a retirement community, a school, or a workplace. Do you know what happens when human beings don't step into God's righteousness story? There's a spiritual gap all around us. There's people, places, things that God has given to you to be a part of his right-making story, to write that story as best you possibly can in those spaces. And when we abdicate that responsibility, when we don't step out and say, I'm here to fulfill all righteousness, to be a part of God's righteous-making story, when we don't do it, there is a spiritual gap around us and people, institutions, organizations suffer. Same old story, right? Lying, cheating, stealing, people kind of halfway in it, not doing the right things, sort of covering up affairs, all that kind of thing, right? All these things that kind of, the same stories get written over and over and over again. And so the Lord looks at us and says, I want you to go be a part of my right-making story. These are Jesus' first recorded words in the book of Matthew. His first recorded words in the book of Matthew. And he says, it's not about me. It's about me stepping into this larger story that God's writing and fulfilling it as best I can. But it's kind of it's crazy because Jesus is going to fulfill this righteous story in a magnificent, huge way. But do you know how it starts? He gets dunked. Not crazy, right? It doesn't start with a big laser light show. It doesn't start with him raising someone from the dead. It starts... Super small, right? He just allows someone else to dunk him. He says, I am doing this to fulfill all righteousness. See, here's the thing. Fulfill all righteousness. It sounds like a big job description. But maybe, just maybe, where fulfilling all righteousness, where you being a participant in God's right-making story, it starts with small steps of unspectacular openness. Just being open in a small way to how is God inviting me to step into his story. That small step, that first step might be really small, just like Jesus getting baptized, right? Listen, Jesus getting baptized, one small step for Jesus, one giant leap for God's right-making story, right? One small step for Jesus, he's just getting dunked. Not, not very, not a whole lot of spectacular things happening there. One giant leap for Jesus redeeming the whole world. My friends, is there a small step that you might take to open yourself up to avail yourself of God's right-making story in your own life or in the world. Are there small things in your life that aren't bad? They're not terrible. They're just cluttered. They're just keeping you dulled and sort of distant from God because they're just sort of distracting you and keeping you away from the Lord. Is there a, a step, a small step of openness in prayer or opening the scriptures or sort of digging deeper into your faith, doing some study, doing some investigation to grow in your faith? That might be a step. Has God put a burden on your heart to step out in some small ways and see what he might do. Last weekend, we had 85 women here from four or five different churches for our first ever women's conference. That whole thing was birthed because Barb Sweeney back this summer said, I think God wants me to do this crazy thing. I've never done a conference before in my life. Help, what do I do? We got lunch this week. She said, like, at every step, I just took small steps of faith, small steps of faith and obedience, and God just met me over and over and over Again, and they had a great, great time last weekend. We're ready to talk about next year. What's going to look like for next year? Small steps of obedience sometimes lead to bigger things. Is there sin you need to repent of? Is there stuff that you, that's cluttering up the works, that clogging the spiritual arteries, keeping you from being able to open to the Lord? Do you need to get prayer? Do you need someone to pray over you? Is there a spiritual layer of opposition that you're feeling that you can't quite get over? Do you need to get some counseling, some therapy to work through some of the history and the baggage in your story because there is a right making story that God is writing he says I want you to be a part of it here Jesus is getting baptized 
First small step right into God's right-making story. And what we're going to do for the next six weeks is we're going to follow this thread, this thread of Jesus here to fulfill all righteousness, this small thread of baptism. It's going to go all the way up to the biggest, biggest, most significant sacrifice you could possibly make, the step that actually does fulfill once and for all, all righteousness for all time, the sacrifice on the cross, where he is fulfilling all righteousness. God the Father raises him from the dead, makes him king of kings and lord of lords. Then he looks at you, he looks at me, he says, come join my story. Come join my story. I'm writing a story of righteousness in the world. The world is broken, the world's messy, but I'm writing a new story. I want you to be a part of it. I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna give you the scriptures. And you know what? It looks like that. Sounds like that. Live a life that resonates with this, with these pictures, with these images. Live a life that riffs off this chord chart. This is it. This is how it looks like. Go and live a life. Better decisions, fewer regrets, fruitful, generative, life-giving to you and all those around you. Come be a part of my right-making story all starts with one small step of openness just jesus surrendering himself to being dunked by his cousin john the baptist his opening debut event for three years of ministry they're going to change the world jesus submits himself in a very small way to this experience here's what happens as jesus submits to the work of fulfilling all of god's righteousness story verse 16 as soon as jesus was baptized he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Over the uh, past 10 days or so, there's been a remarkable uh, move of the Spirit at a Christian college in Kentucky, Asbury College. Some of you have heard about this, some of you haven't heard about this. This is a Christian college uh, in Asbury, Kentucky. They, uh, on February 8th, they started a chapel service. They have chapel like every week there. And if you're a student going to Asbury, you have to attend a certain number of times a semester. So, you know, February 8th, students are just schlepping their way to, to chapel like they, like they have to, like they, like they have to at least a number of times the course of the semester. After the chapel service was over, a bunch of, a handful of students said, this is isn't done yet. We need to stay and keep praying and singing and worshiping. So they kept, they stayed and they prayed and they worshiped. That, that, that started uh, on February 8th in the morning and they kept going all that day and all night long into the next day. And the students are, more students started hearing about it. They kept coming and coming and coming the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And then of course, social media got a hold of this. And now there are literally thousands of people flocking to Asbury, Kentucky to go and experience what God's doing there in that space. The chapel seats, like 1,500 people. There's like 5,000 people at an overflow space. And there's people outside. And there's all this kind of prayer and worship happening. And it's a remarkable, remarkable, beautiful thing that the Spirit's doing. It's just getting started, but it could blossom into something more. And I'm saying, yes, come Holy Spirit, do the same thing at Chatham Community Church. We're open. We're available. Now, revival is marked by a couple of things, and it'd be great for us to be praying for, God, would you do this kind of work in our community? Would you do these sort of things, like real revival, long-term revival, right? This is, uh, the, the president called this an awakening, which I think is a great description of it. But revival is a longer-term play that has a number of things, has a number of elements. So revival includes prayer, worship, and repentance by Christians, right? These are Christians, people who already believe, who are pushing deeper and further into prayer, into worship, and confessing sin, repenting of sin, because sin always clogs spiritual arteries. And that goes on for days, weeks, sometimes months, and then it goes out to conversions. People who think an 11-day prayer meeting sounds dumb, why would anyone want to pray and sing songs for like 11 days? People who think this is ridiculous suddenly meet Jesus. 
And they are overwhelmed with experiences of grace, mercy, and they repent. And they, come to, they come to faith in Jesus. And then that starts to spread and spread and spread and spread and spread. So people start to live out the faith in totally new ways, totally new converted ways. And, and because of their uh, love for Jesus, the sort of fervor of spirits, and they take all kinds of crazy risks. And as a result, there's cultural change, sometimes in a city, sometimes in a state, sometimes a whole region, sometimes a whole country. And this unfolds over months and even years. In the early 1900s, for two years, there was this thing called the Welsh Revival. The Welsh Revival swept the whole nation, and the nation was so transformed, get this, they closed the prisons because no one was in them. So much repentance. No one's getting drunk, no one's getting disorderly, no one's stealing stuff. All, like, all the sort, of, sort of petty thief kind of crime stuff, they just shut down a bunch of prisons because they were empty. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if we closed a bunch of prisons because no one's in them because their hearts are so changed by Jesus and just being a part of God's kingdom coming, God's will being done instead of getting involved in mischief? Second Great Awakening credited by historians for abolishing slavery here in the United States. Prayer, worship, repentance of sin by Christians that then leads to conversions, friends, family, brothers, sisters, people who don't care about God, suddenly like awakening to God's presence and mercy in their lives. And then this crazy radical obedience, starting new things, changing the culture, changing the world around us. Let's, yeah, come Holy Spirit, let's do this here in Chatham County. Wouldn't that be great to see these things happening in our community as well? Now, as Jesus comes to his baptism, he doesn't have sin to repent of, but he is walking in the step of obedience, right? He's here to fulfill all righteousness. And what you see as he's stepping into his step of obedience, is he meets the Lord and meets the Spirit in remarkable ways. Like the, the heavens open up, the Spirit descends, and a dove lights on them. Obedience leads to the heavens opening up over us, just experiencing the Holy Spirit in new ways. Now, there's all kinds of debates among Bible nerds about the Holy Spirit falling on Jesus, right? Didn't Jesus already have the Holy Spirit? How does this work? So here's my take on it as a fellow Bible nerd, but not the nerdiest of all the Bible nerds. There are nerdier ones than me for sure. My take on it is that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit, has the Holy Spirit from birth. And at the same time, he's going to kick off three of the most consequential years in human history. All kinds of challenges, all kinds of temptations. And this is a fresh filling of the Spirit for a new season of his life. And that's a great thing to pray. Jesus, would you give me the Holy Spirit for a new season of my life, for this season of my life? Whatever the challenges are, whatever the opportunities are. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's submitting himself to the righteousness story that God's writing by being baptized, and by participating in God's story, he experiences in a new way the Holy Spirit. He experiences in a new way, in a new filling, the work of the Holy Spirit in him and through him. And as we're coming off the Living Supernaturally series, I want to invite us to be people of prayer, worship, repentance, confession, and then stepping in and saying, Father, I'm willing to obey wherever you would send me. I'm willing to live a life that is faithful to you, and we ask that you would give us fresh works of the Holy Spirit all along the way. You have this beautiful voice from heaven, God booming out over Jesus, singing over Jesus. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so Matthew records that Jesus' baptism, you've got Jesus getting baptized, you've got the Father singing over Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls on him. A Father, Son, Holy Spirit experience. This is Jesus' opening experience as a sort of coming out to ministry party. Like he's exploding onto the scene here in this moment. This is, the, this is the opening bookend for Matthew. Then Matthew closes his whole count of Jesus' life with another nod toward baptism. Here's how Matthew, that's how Matthew opens his story. Here's how Matthew closes the Jesus story. Jesus came to them after his resurrection and said, all authority in heaven and earth been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus' baptism was a Father, Son, Holy Spirit event, so too is Jesus inviting us into that same story. 
teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, teaching us to fulfill all righteousness, just like Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew writes Jesus' story. He bookends it. Baptism on the front end, baptism on the back end. Go and baptize. Go and preach the good news of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the righteousness story that God's been writing, and then teach folks to obey and to walk in that story all their days, just like Jesus walked in that story all his days. And all of that starts, all of it starts with God's magnificent love, magnificent love for you and for me. All right, so here's my true confession. My true confession is this, that I love to, uh, I've always, my whole life been like a performer, achiever, like I like to push, push, push myself and do the best I possibly can. And here's what I've always hated, I think from birth, from an early age. You know when you're a kid and you're getting ready to try something really hard and like a parent or a coach or a teacher says, you're awesome, you can do that. Remember that, you know those things? I hate that. Don't tell me I'm awesome. I haven't accomplished anything yet. Tell me I'm awesome if I crush it. Then I'm awesome. Then you can tell me I'm awesome. And if I don't crush it, don't tell me I'm still awesome. Because I did not crush it. That by definition means I am not awesome. Now, this is not healthy. I'm saying this confessionally, right? So forgive me. All right, this is a sin. All right, this is the thing. This is totally not healthy. And it's taken me many, many decades to unhook myself from performance and achievement as a measure of my value and worth as a human being. A lot of years of me acknowledging that the more I chase after performance and achievement for value, worth, love, the deeper the pit goes. Because it's never enough, right? It's never enough. There's always more. Always more you could do. Always more you should do. You're always falling short. You're always kind of not quite there. And then, so you build your whole life chasing after this thing that is an illusion. The scriptures call this idolatry. Idolatry is taking a good thing, trying to make it an ultimate thing, therefore making you a miserable thing. Take a good thing, approval, accomplishment. That's a good thing. Try to make it an ultimate thing, which is only God. Try to make accomplishment and approval, uh, performance, whatever your thing is, try to make that an ultimate thing. You become ultimately a miserable thing. So I've had to repent of that. Some of us grew up in homes where approval was really hard to come by from a parent or a coach or a teacher. Some of us lived in places that were, uh, that just had this, you just had this drive of achieve, 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 do, do, do. And my friends, it's never enough. You're never enough. It's never, ever enough. Here's, the good, here's, here's how I started to unhook from that rat race, from this thing that was always an illusion. It started with this story right here. Because at this point in Jesus' life, Jesus has not done anything except get dunked by his cousin John. Not that hard. And you know what the father sings over him? Before you do anything, this is my son whom I loved whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Before Jesus feeds a bunch of people, before he does a bunch of miracles, before he does a bunch of healings, before he does the ultimate sacrifice of giving himself up onto the cross, before Jesus does anything, the Father sings out over his Son, you are beloved, you are beloved, you are beloved. And my fellow performance, achievement, addicted people, this is the best news you've ever heard in your entire life because you too are beloved before you do anything. The good Father is for you and with you. Turn to your neighbor, say neighbor. Turn to your neighbor, say neighbor. You are beloved. You are beloved. You are pre-beloved. You are pre-beloved before you do anything, before you were even born. You were pre-beloved. You were pre-beloved. You were pre-beloved. So go receive that love. That comes first. My friends, here's the good news. God's work comes first. God's love comes first. Our work comes second. God's love comes first, 
our work comes second, God's love comes first, our work comes second, and if you get that order of operations wrong, you will be a mess. You will either become a Pharisee, the world doesn't need more Pharisees, more self-righteous religious people, look how good I am, or you'll give up and be burnt out. Forget this, I feel, I feel shame and pain and all this guilt, like I'm not doing enough, not doing enough, not doing enough. God's love comes first. Your work comes second. Merry Christmas 10 months early. Be free. God says before you do anything, just be like, just receive my love. I want to pour it out. I want to sing out over you. Be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my spirit and I'm going to give you all the love you need. I'm going to give you all the power you need. And then I'm going to say, yeah, go and fulfill all righteousness. Go be a part of my right-making story wherever I have put you and sent you. But my friends, the place where we come back to over and over and over again, God's love comes first. Our work comes second. If you get this order of operations wrong, just like in a math problem, if you don't multiply before you divide and add and multiply and subtract, all that stuff, right, you get the wrong answer. And if you get this wrong in the spiritual life, you don't get the right answer. You walk in darkness. You get lost and tangled up in religious mumbo-jumbo, and you miss the point, the power, the beauty, the grace, the love that fuels this whole enterprise. God's love for Jesus comes first, and then it sends him into three years that are going to change the world. God's love for you comes first, and then he sends you out into the world and says, now go live as a beloved son or daughter of the Most High God. That's how we step into this story. Today's wildly important take homes. Let's gather up these things all together. We're invited to the story that can redeem any story. And one day we'll redeem all stories that ends eternally happily ever after. This is God's right-making story fulfilled by Jesus. That's the story that we're stepping into today. So it's the first week. We're going to step into this over the next six weeks, right? This is God's right-making story fulfilled by Jesus, and we're invited to step in and be a part of it. A couple, couple of encouragements, some steps, right? First step is participation starts with often with small, unspectacular openness, right? What are some small ways you might open yourself up a little bit more to God's story? Just like Jesus getting dunked was not a spectacular thing. It was just a quiet step of submission. Some of you, it's really internal. It's just work you need to do before the Lord. Others of you, it's a step outward in some way, shape, or form. What are some ways that, what's one small step of openness you might take toward participating in God's story? Second thing, participation positions us to experience the Spirit. Heavens open up, spirit falls down. As we participate in God's right-making story, we experience more and more of God's spirit at work in us. It just positions us to receive more of that spirit. And then finally, good news, God's love comes first. Our work comes second. And for some of you, like, that literally is the most life-changing thing you've ever heard. You need to, like, that's the simplest two sentences anyone could ever write. It is the most life-changing two sentences anyone could ever absorb, live out. And so the invitation for you and for me, is to step into this life-changing, redemptive story where God's love is poured out into our hearts, his spirit is poured into us, and we go and live out and step into that magnificent, beautiful, redemptive, life-changing story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks so much for the invitation into this story. We, uh, I pray for my friends who are here <laughs> who whose stories are all mixed with all kinds of ups and downs. And there are some dark days and some hard days and some things they'd rather not revisit. And then there's joys and hopes that they have for the future. And so, Lord, in all this, would you give us the courage and strength, the willingness to step into your story, to merge our stories with your story, to find as literally hundreds of millions of people before us have found that when we actually give our stories over to the Lord Jesus Christ, he can redeem anything 
and he can steer us and guide us, and we build our lives on that firm foundation, that solid rock. We live with better decisions, fewer regrets, more fruitful lives. Lord Jesus, let's start here, let's start now. I pray for my friends who need to take one small step of openness. Some of, some of my friends here aren't even sure they believe in any of this. Lord Jesus, would they just open themselves up just a little bit to your grace and mercy. Others of us, there's steps you're inviting us to take to open ourselves up to participating more and more in the story that you're writing. Would we be open to that good news and would we receive the good news? Your love comes first. Would that fuel us for the work you've given us to do, the life you've called us to live? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.